Welcome to Stage Door Sessions by Broadway Direct. In this podcast, we have in-depth conversations with Broadway's brightest, bringing you what's new, what's noteworthy, and what's coming next to a stage near you. I'm your host, Elisa Gardner, and today we're speaking with you from the Tony Award nominees press reception, where some of those brightest and most noteworthy artists have gathered on a two-show day, no doubt running on sheer adrenaline here, to uh, talk about their work, the season, and being tapped by Tony as the big night approaches. In this last episode with Tony nominees, we have interviews with spectacular creatives across the field, including some of the top designers and directors working in theater. They share reactions on their nominations, as well as in-depth thoughts on their key offstage roles in some of the season's most celebrated shows. We are here with Bartlett Shear, the great uh, American director, uh, who is this year uh, up for directing a new play, a new American classic uh, version of To Kill a Mockingbird. This play has gotten rave reviews almost universally, but there were a few purists who took issue with some changes that uh, you and Aaron Sorkin instituted that I think made the play more theatrically compelling and more resonant today. Uh, Different nuances in characters, making the courtroom the main setting. I'd imagine, given the box office, that the public feedback uh, and from fans, people who like the book and the novel, has been positive, though. Uh, Very positive. I mean, I think think what people don't often realize is that it's sometimes quite satisfying for something like a novel to have many iterations – and each one could be different from the next. So the fact that it was a well-known movie and that it then became a stage version, that part of the fun is to experience different things about it than you expect from the book or you expect from the film. That's right. And did you keep that in mind in casting? Because, for example, um, Jeff Daniels is a revelatory Atticus. I mean, he just brings something so new to the part. Yeah, I don't I think. I think people misunderstand casting. Casting's not an external business. It's not how they look. It's really a question of a kind of internal life and the ability of a great artist like Jeff to manifest and express those uh, internal qualities in a room with 1,400 people. So you really resonate and see in Jeff all of the internal struggle of what Atticus is going through. And because Aaron's rethought the character of, of Atticus Finch to be more of a real person who's dealing with whether he's become an apologist for his neighbors, whether he uh, has to change his point of view. He's pushed by Calpurnia to look at it differently. That's something that Jeff's quiet, powerful, very, very gifted physical instrument in his work uh, expresses quite beautifully. Yeah. Um I think the play and the material speak to our times in in a number of ways, sadly, but one of the things that's most touching and and heartening about it is how it shows something you just really alluded to, the humanity and in some cases, at least the the dignity of small town people. And um, I think that's something that's sorely needed in New York City (laughs) and in our country right now. I mean, well, you have to understand it's, it's as much a piece about race and region you know, it's a set in the South. This is a, from the point of view of a young girl, young white girl growing up in the South and watching who her father was, watching what her community was and learning what she learns. And that's a very specific thing to particularly life outside the bubble here in New York. Mm-hmm. And it's a piece that's race, region, gender and sexuality, 
class within the divisions in the in the community are very different layers of class. So Mrs. DuBose would be the most upper class and one of the most racist mm-hmm. m- matched against the farmers who are on the jury who, you know, struggle very hard to maintain their land or in competition with others. So you see a very complete picture of a community in yeah. the in the in the book and, and in the play. And you see the enduring, you know, legacy of of the Civil War. That's something I was thinking about seeing the show. Have you gotten comments from out-of-towners or people who've traveled well, we to people, see the show? we had people, very first previews, we had people from Alabama there at the show who were very uh, honored that they were seeing their their story reflected on stage. Uh, they were happy that it had captured some of uh, Harper Lee's humor. Um, they were hoping that it would be a dignified portrayal of this kind of community, which I think it is. So I, um, we've had a lot of reaction from all over the country. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And um, we will see you again with your next show. Great. Thank you. We are here with three creative team members from the prom, old friends Bob Martin, Chad Beglin, and Matthew Sklar, who between them are nominated for Best Book and Score. You are all Broadway and musical theater veterans, and I know that you wrote this show for other Broadway and musical theater veterans, performers who weren't marquee names, but who every theater fan knows and loves. And a few of them are nominated, as well as uh, director Casey Nicola, who crafted the show with you. So that must make this especially special. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we we uh, saw the show last night, and uh, it was really moving in the curtain call to see the final three performance come out and know that they were all nominated for Tonys. It was wonderful. Yeah, I mean, also just getting to work with all these people that we love and admire and trust. And, uh, you know, when we originally started working on the show, we, uh, you know, had these ideas of who we wanted to work with. And so to be able to craft these original roles to these people that we love, like Brooks and obviously Caitlin and and Beth and 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 the entire cast has been has been a dream. Yeah, and and uh, most of us go go way back with a lot of these performers. Like I've known Chris Sieber since I was the rehearsal pianist at Paper Mill Playhouse for Peter Pan, where he was a pirate in like the early '90s. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Beth, uh, I was uh, I was a rehearsal pianist for Forty Second Street Revival, which oh, she was wow. in. So it's like I go back mm-hmm. so far back with all these people, and it's just it's been such a great thing to be able to create these parts for them. Yeah. Well, as you're mentioning, this musical is a showcase for both exciting young performers and uh, and veteran performers. And it's got a subject that's very much in focus right now, uh, the challenges faced by LGBTQ youth, um, which you address in ways that are very, very funny with uh, these lovable Broadway narcissists sort of invading a small <laughs> town, but also very poignant. Um, was striking that balance difficult? I think that was the toughest part. It was really create, getting the right tone for it. Um, you know, in our early drafts, you know, uh, it felt like, you know, the Broadway people were kind of invading a Broadway town. And, you know, during the development, we really we realized we really needed to make uh, the town very real and a town in crisis so that when these clowns kind of come in um, and raise holy hell, um, you know, they're they're really invading something brand new. And, and uh, you know, so those two cultures really collide. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, <clears throat> as we were developing the show, um, the issue at the at the heart of it really became the sort of bifurcated nature of American politics. And and so it was really about these two sides, 
trying to understand each other. That that's you know, I mean, that that is the greatest message in the show, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny too. We've been developing the show for over eight years, and when we first started, it was a time of hope and optimism in the country, and things seemed to be getting better for that specific, you know, LGBTQ plus community. And now, after this last election or the last, um, you know, things have gotten worse, and so suddenly, what we worried would not be relevant became very, very relevant uh, as a message for the show. No, I really feel like it's an important. A story to be telling and you know every performance we have kids come up to the actors after you know at the stage door with tears in their eyes just saying thank you i I've, i see myself up there for the first time and the representation is really important to them and that that just you know is so moving for us yeah and very joyful as well as you mentioned um thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on your well-deserved nominations thank you, <laughs> thank you so much Well, we're here today with Daniel Fish, who is uh, directing Rodgers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma on Broadway, um, a production that's garnered a lot of acclaim. And a lot has been made of how revolutionary this production is. But I've I've also gleaned that what you wanted to do really was to um, be true to these characters and really reveal them, maybe dig deeper inside them and, and make them accessible to contemporary audience, audiences. Would that be correct to say that? Sure. You know, I mean, um, I, I get a little suspicious around the word accessibility. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, it's kind of like, like, what does that actually mean? But I think it can have a negative connotation. Um, yeah. But I, I think, um, yeah, I think what, what I'm interested in and what the actors who go out there every night on that stage to circle in the square are interested in is bringing them, bring themselves, bring their bodies, bringing their minds, bringing their voices, to the material in as authentic and uh, as honest a way as they can every night, and that's a hard thing to do. And to do it with to do it every night, eight times a week, um, and and for it to be real and persuasive. And that's, um, you know, fortunately they're they're buoyed by an extraordinary book and an extraordinary score, and that makes it um, that gives them something to 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 that really it's the spine of it, as it were. Um, uh, but yeah. And you really get a sense of, of how that score can live and breathe in different arrangements with, uh, the wonderful, uh, orchestrations yeah, in this production. That Daniel Kluber did is the Yeah. He yeah, was also amazing. a nominee. Yes. He got a bunch of nominations yeah. for this. Were you a fan of, of Rodgers and Hammerstein and of you classic bet. musicals you know, generally? Yeah. You know, I went to musicals as a kid. Uh, I saw the 1979 revival with Christine Andreas. And Me too. You did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she. I worshipped her. I saw her in that and in My Fair Lady. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I went. I you know I I grew up going to Michael Bennett musicals and and um, uh, but also you know shows like um, Lee Brewer's Gospel of Colonus. So I am a fan of them and um, uh, and you know I just think. The source material is amazing, and uh, there's a lot in there that I, th- you know, I think like a lot of people, I thought I knew Oklahoma, right? You, th- you know, you have the songs in your head since you're a kid, and you think you have this idea about what it is, and then when I got inside of it, I was like, whoa, there's a whole story here that I didn't know was here. Um, that's a, you know, a story about violence, a story about the nature of community and the need for a community to create an outsider, and the and the cost of doing so, um, and that I didn't know was there. 
Yeah. And I'm, you know, and I'm continually amazed by the, by the sort of generosity of the material as it, as it sort of keeps deepening. Yeah, it really is. I heard somebody say that that's like musical theater Shakespeare, Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yeah, it's a really, good way of putting it. It's yeah. really rich. Um, what have you heard from audience members who have who have seen the musical? I mean, it's it's gotten great reviews. It's it's doing great box office. Um, but have you? What have you heard from those who have seen the show before, and maybe from those who have not seen it? Do they have different perspectives? You know, I think everybody has a different perspective, mm-hmm. and you know, I think. What we all do is, as I said, you know, we're trying to do the best work we can do. And when we get that right, and that's like, it's hard to get it right. Mm. And like, if all the elements are coming together, if the design is coming together and the acting is coming together and the singing is coming together and the band is on and everything's kind of grooving together and it looks and it sounds and it feels like we want it to be, then we send it out and it doesn't belong to us anymore. And however people respond is fine. And I, you know, it's not that I'm not interested in the response. I'm always curious. I'm always surprised by it. But like, I really believe that like it's theirs at that point. Yeah. And, um, and whatever they take away is fine. Yeah. And the audience is part of that community. Yeah, and, yeah. This and that's, and that's yeah. what we're asking. You know, that's sort of, that's the deal that we're, that we're, that we're, that we're putting out there and saying, Hey, you know, we're going to spend three hours together making this thing. And, and your presence is part of that. Yeah. Well, that definitely comes across. So thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on your nomination and all the others the show got. Thank you. We're here right now with our returning champion, David Yazbek, who won last year for uh, in the same category for The Band's Visit, a little show called The Band's Visit that won a bunch of awards. And this year he is up for Tootsie, which is also up for a bunch of awards. Um, everyone is loving this show. It's, it's witty. It's accessible. There's inside stuff that's not too inside. And you did some pretty extensive updating as well. Um, tell us about that, about bringing the story into the into the present. Well, it's, uh, you know, the original movie, uh, the workspace in the original movie, the show within the show is a soap opera. Uh, it just doesn't feel like a very current (laughs) milieu right now. Mm -hmm. Um, but also what's the fun of just taking a movie and just putting songs in this pre-existing thing and then just slapping it on the stage? Um, that's not what I'm in the business for. That's not what Robert Horn is in the business for. We're in the business to have fun making something new. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like that's what we tried to do. Yeah, yeah. And and you did. Um, was the Me Too movement a factor in the story? I, I saw F- Santino Fontana speak on a panel and he mentioned speaking with um, Rebecca Traster, who is a, um, you know, a noted writer on women's issues. Did you consult with her as well or did you all kind of talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a few discussions with her, um, with Robert and Scott Ellis. Um, and I know that Santino was in touch with her a lot. Um, and also other, you know, other friends of ours or people that we know that we respect women who have a, uh, have a take on what the zeitgeist is right now. Um, if you're a guy, you can be very smart, you can be very empathetic, but you're not a woman. (laughs) So you're not gonna, you really can't get completely into the shoes of a woman to understand, from that side, what the Me Too movement is all about. So, um, 
you know, I, I think we would have had these discussions even before the hashtag started, mm-hmm. um, because the, the, the brand of feminism that the movie, uh, deals in is, is, is dated, Mm. uh, in many ways, you know, comedy is a very sensitive and, um, strange area when you're talking about things like sexism or racism, or, you know, it's Mm. like, what is, what is the arena, you know, where, how does the pendulum swing? We had to have those conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, we knew we could be funny no matter what, but we, and we knew that we could serve the characters and the story no matter what, we just needed to, um, to check in. Yeah. No, it struck that balance, that balance brilliantly. I Good. mean, it was outrageous, but it was also not offensive. That's a hard thing to do that's, nowadays. That's nice. That's nice to hear. <laughs> Thanks. Well, thank you so much for thank taking you. some time and congratulations again. Thanks. We are here with multiple Tony Award winner Des Mackinoff, whose wide-ranging work includes both rock-infused hits such as Jersey Boys and The Who's Tommy, and who's now up for one of 12 nominations for Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. 12 for a show that uh, wasn't even eligible for original score. That's amazing. Were you surprised by that? You know, I, I'm I'm extremely pleased. You know, The, the Temptations... Uh you know, the, 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 the temptations are an institution, and I think one of the main themes of our of our show has to do with entrances and exits. And there's a, a line in the show that the you know the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, there have in fact been 24 temptations, so this is really a group effort. And I thought it was poetry that we got nominated in every category we're eligible in. I think it's truly a reflection of the show we're doing. And so that's a great feeling. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled for, 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 the, for the whole crew. And it's getting standing ovations every night People from go the first berserk. seat. Yeah, thank you. Yes, that's true. People go berserk. There's, there's a kind of a kind of cathartic, you know, ending uh, where uh, they all came from the South, of course, the guys and to Detroit as a part of that, you know, migration to the auto industry. So they all grew up singing gospel and we talk about that through the play, but we don't actually go there Mm. till the very end. And there's been a fair bit of pain and sacrifice by that point. So I I dare say there are men in the audience with uh, tears streaming down their cheeks that haven't cried since they were five years old. (laughs) Oh, well, the Temptations were and are known. They're still around for their spectacular showmanship. And and we see that in this production. The singing and dancing are just breathtaking. Um, How did you and the choreographer work on those production numbers and make those songs everyone loves, not only wonderful, but fresh? You know, uh, uh, we we work, we do a lot of preparation together. Uh, uh, Dominique Morisa, who's from Detroit, our writer, uh, I, I spent many, many hours with Dominique uh, before we've, she even really started writing the play. We, you know, created outlines. We had a kind of a blueprint. And then Sergio Trujillo, the choreographer, and, and I, we, uh, we actually do plan things very, very carefully. Uh, you know, we've worked through the the the, the kind of physical uh, production generally several times by the time we get to staging. And then from that point on, we have a kind of a 
almost a kind of telepathic communication because we've worked together so much. So we kind of can check all that stuff at the door. And then it really comes to life in a kind of process of discovery in the room. So he's an amazing partner and I'm really pleased for him. While this is the, the moves are reminiscent of the temptations, what he does is, is far beyond the choreographer choreography that they were doing in the sixties. Oh, what he it does certainly is, is. Yeah. yeah and, the and our guys are they're the company. They're, they're such great, not only great singers, but they're, they're spectacular dancers. We use that term triple threat, you know, acting, singing, and dancing. And, and, and this company is really made up of, of a company of triple threats. Yeah, you found a bunch. <laughs> we we certainly did. And they're also gorgeous and they're young. So one of the things that's really, really thrilling for me is watching at the stage door. And it, it's really like the, the well, the original Temptations are the Rolling Stones coming out of the stage doors. Yeah. I and mean, there's literally screams from <laughs> the kids. Bet. So we, we love the fact that it's it's so current. This, this is, a, this is a, a play that's about now. Maybe it takes place in the 60s, but this is about the America we live in now. Yeah. Well, congratulations again. Thank you Thank so you. much for stopping by. Great. No, I, I loved it. Thank you. On Stage Door Sessions, we're so happy to feature a wide range of the amazing shows playing on Broadway right now. There's truly something for everyone. But with so many options for buying Broadway tickets, it can get very confusing. But Broadway Direct makes it simple. We will always direct you to the official source for tickets. Whether you're trying to decide on the best show for you, or you already know exactly what you want to see, we're able to get you the information you need to get the best seats at the best prices with the best customer service on Broadway. And with insider access, we're able to bring you the latest Broadway news, behind-the-scenes stories, backstage videos, and expert tips to help you find your next show. From navigating ticketing to your in-theater experience to keeping you connected to Broadway after the curtain comes down, we're here with one mission, to make your Broadway experience the best it can be. Buy tickets, get news, and explore all things Broadway at broadwaydirect.com. We are here today with uh, the great director, George C. Wolfe, who's nominated this season for Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus. Um, I just want to say this was, this is such a brave and beautiful and different play, and it's full of wackiness and gory and 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 devastating and, and hopeful also. Oh, well, good. Thank you. Um, I agree. All, all those things. Um, did you ever think, will this work on Broadway? <laughs> well, I don't, I, you think, I know real, I didn't because, because I'm not a four, I mean, it's, it's not my job on a, it's, as, as a, as a director, it's not my job to question it. Once I say yes. Now, once I say yes, it's my job to figure out how to animate it and make it entertaining and smart and available to people. And if I'm pulling back asking questions, then I'm not doing my job. Yeah. On a real, you, know, real, you know what I mean? I can look at it in, in my days when I was a producer of the public. I could go, is this? I don't know. I'm not thinking so because that's, that was part of my job to question and judge. But as a director, once I say yes, it's like, all right, I believe in this. This is the most extraordinary thing I've ever been a part of. I'm so glad everybody is involved. And now we're going to change the world. We're going to redefine the nature of American theater. Let's get to rehearsal. So that's the kind of energy I have to have when I begin a project. That's right. Uh, this play doesn't 
also, you know, confront social issues as directly as some of the other great work you've done. Um, I mean, it's set in thousands of years yes, ago yes. for starters, but I found it very topical in a way. I mean, did it resonate? You know, again, because of that, um, you know, the lessons we haven't learned exactly. historically. I mean, did that strike you as well? But also, it's that the thing is, one. I think there's an obviousness of People without power, one of the things that I think is so brilliantly smart about the play, it's about people without power doing brutal acts and then people with no power being called upon to clean up after them. Yeah, privilege. It's, it's, it's 100%. very much about privilege. So, so, and and, and so, so that's one of the things that I think is really, really interesting. But one of the things that I that I personally really, really love is that at one point the character Carol says to the other two characters, Look at us. We're three disposables. Mm -hmm. And to me, what it's about, people who believe they have been discarded by society, figuring out that they have agency and that they have power and that they have a command over their own life. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to guarantee a positive outcome and that they're going to change the world, but they go from feeling like they're trapped inside of a system to feeling as though they can alter or change the system. Yeah. And to me, I find that very thrilling and very empowering. Yeah. I, I also just wanted to ask you quickly about, I know you had a little bit of, of unfortunate backstage drama yes. with the show when Andrea Martin was hurt. Yes. Um, and uh, she had to bow out of a role, uh, which was, you know, beautifully filled in. Uh, yes. You've gotten a bunch of Tony nominations. Is, is she doing okay? Is she yeah, recovering? She, 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 she's doing well. I mean, it, it was it, 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 the thing which is it's we had we, we did a workshop of the play in October. We started rehearsals in January. It was our last week in the Aww. rehearsal room before we moved into the theater and she fell and broke Aww. four ribs. Oh gosh. And then I was getting ready to go into tech. So it was just, it, it, it was, it was heartbreak. It was heartbreaking for what happened to her. And then I'm so incredibly proud of Christine and Julie because in a week's time, with just a week worth of rehearsal, they were in performance. Yeah, yeah. And you... Nathan was, Nathan Lane was extraordinary in the whole process. So I'm, there, there, there's, there's, there's heartbreak for what happened, but there's also, I find, incredible inspiration in the energy of people rising to the occasion. Yeah, and I know you all gave her incredible support as well. Yes. So, so congratulations well, thank you once very much. again. Um, you know, you continue to do such great work. You're an inspiration for us all. Oh, so well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We are here today with Harold Wheeler, who is winning a Lifetime Achievement Tony Award this year and has also nominated one of 12 nominations for Eight Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. Congratulations and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. My pleasure. So The Temptations, I know you've done pop, R&B, Broadway, uh, Academy Awards, everything through the years. I, I would imagine you were quite familiar with this music and was the opportunity to work on a show like this just incredible, I can imagine. Well, I grew up listening to this music and uh, in my professional career, I've worked with The Temptations, I've worked with Stevie Wonder, I've worked with The Four Tops, I've worked with Smokey Robinson on television specials. So to be able to do what I do for theater now and that pop background that I have also, I'm classically trained, but I said, I'm not going to make a living in classical music, so I might as well go another direction. But to, but to take all of that training and put it into the R&B music, but 
also recognizing that this is these songs are scenes. And so it's not about trying to make it sound like the original and the whole thing. It's about playing to the emotion of the actors. And that's what I do best. And that's what I love doing. I was going to ask about adapting the music for a Broadway audience. And these are spectacular song and dance numbers. So I would imagine keeping the energy for that would also be part of part of the job in a case like this. Yeah, well, I, I always felt that the, the palette that the songwriters and the arrangers in Detroit set for all these songs and made them hits. I said, if you take that away, you're taking the enjoyment away from the audience. But because this is theater, this is not a concert. And we've had people singing along, you know, in the show. I mean, in a sad scene, somebody's singing along with it. But these aren't theater goers. These are people that are there because they love the temptations. But, I mean, I just try to make it, I tune everything to the scene, to the actor, to the emotion of the moment, and keeping that Motown feel, keeping, so I'm trying to serve two masters there. Uh, what have the crowds been like, and have you gotten feedback, and the musicians gotten feedback, because the music is such a huge part of this show, it's really front and center. Well, the, the crowds have been phenomenal, and this show started in Berkeley, California, and it it went to the Amundsen, then it went to the Kennedy Center, then it went to, you know, a Toronto and everywhere. I, I saw it everywhere. And it's amazing. The audiences just go crazy. They're with the familiarity and they cry when they're supposed to. They laugh when they're supposed to. And the standing ovations are just unbelievable. There's never been a show without immediate standing ovations. So it, I'm proud of that. Yeah. The night I was there, the minute the curtain call. Yeah. And your Lifetime Achievement Tony Award, that has to be very special. That's, that's a rare honor. That must be a profound thing. It's, it, it is very special because it doesn't often go to people who work behind the scenes. Uh, so it, it's very special to me. I don't, I don't do theater for awards. I do it because I love theater and I do it because I make a living at it. <laughs> but... It's, uh, I don't do it for awards. So to be recognized for, uh, I've done 27 Broadway shows in 50 years. And I didn't know that until I went online. <laughs> I forgot about <laughs> a, many of the shows. But uh, so it, it, it's truly an honor. I mean, and it's, it, it's still overwhelming. The fact that someone who works behind the scenes, you know, can be recognized like this. And then when I looked at my body of work, I said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I deserve this. You do, you do. Thank you so much for stopping by. Congratulations on on this nomination and this award. And uh, we look forward to your work in the future. Thank you very much. So we are here with Jason Michael Webb, who is receiving a special Tony Award this year for arranging music for Choir Boy. Now, the music for this play is such an integral part of it. I mean, I heard people say, well, it's really more like a musical, but but it isn't. It's it's a play, but you've woven in the music in a way that's so integral without it being a musical. Tell us about that. Well, I think one of the main uh, distinctions between music as it's used in a play and music as it's used in a musical is that in a musical, the music is supposed to advance story plot, that kind of thing. And in the play, we kind of capture a tone and really dig into the hearts of these characters when those songs come up. Um, and so what Terrell has done really beautifully was he selected, uh, 
Negro spirituals, pop music that these boys wouldn't necessarily have access to in their bodies, but the characters had to figure out, well, it was kind of my job to figure out how these characters would articulate that music. And so uh, in capturing the tone and the vibe of these moments, uh, we were able to find how the boys might sing Motherless Child or might sing Wait in the Water. We didn't sing Wait in the Water in the show, but it's that type of, that, well, that was the gig. That's right. And you've done stage and screen musicals, uh, including the last revival, uh, the first Broadway revival of The Color Purple, yes. which was one of the most gorgeously sung shows I have ever seen. It was one of the most <laughs> beautiful shows I've ever worked on in, in a very, very special time. That's right. So does a play present a different kind of challenge? I think so, because in a musical, you know, OK, well, we're here for the music and let's let the music drive it. But in a play, it's the text. And uh, in a musical, it's also the text, but in a play, very much so. Um, so the challenge for me, uh, I think, was figuring out how to not get in the way of the text, to let the music do its job, which is, I don't want to say secondary, but in a play versus a musical, the music is, is very much a supporting role in a play. Yeah. And what attracted you to Choir Boy in particular? I mean, it's such a wonderful play that people have related to on all kinds of levels. Yeah, it's it's a play that's nourished me in a way that I didn't anticipate. Uh, but I worked on it. Uh, MTC, it, I'll say this. MTC has been a family to me. And it's one of the first theater companies that really embraced me as an artist. When I, when I uh, got introduced to the theater community, I began... Uh, music directing their galas and really building a relationship with them then. And uh, they started working with Terrell and were looking for a musical director to come in and work with him. And I think I was just kind of assigned that, but everything, you know, everything is, happens for a reason. Um, and I felt like that placement was really divine. And in the five years since we mounted the first production, I feel like we've all grown um, you look at where Terrell is in his career um, and what's happened with Nick and Jeremy, my goodness, he's got two nominations for his debut. Like this is, we've all worked hard and tried to be good stewards, stewards over our gift. And I feel like this is the reward. Yeah. And you use the word divine. Um, this is a show that addresses faith and, and racism and homophobia Indeed. and how difficult it is for all of us to come into our own, particularly at a time in our lives when we're so vulnerable. Um, what kind of, of feedback have you gotten from audience members or how has it resonated with you personally? Well, well me personally, I can identify with so much that um, that's addressed in this uh, in the play. And the feedback has just been overwhelmingly, it, it, it's consistent with how I feel. I was uplifted every time I watched that show, even though I worked on it, it never got old. The, the cast was working so hard and they did such beautiful work that it just, it touched me. And I know that it touched audiences um, in a way that, again, I did not anticipate being changed in the way that I was changed by that play. Oh, well, congratulations again Thank on you. your Tony. Thank you. And we look forward to uh, hearing a lot more of your work. I'll receive that. Thank <laughs> you so much. Well, we are here today with Joe Forbes, who has been awarded a special Tony for Excellence in Theater. Um, congratulations. And and this is a Tony Award you're not nominated for, that just you get for, for years of merit. So what, is, what does something like this mean to you? It is the capstone to a, to a long career. Uh, it's, it sort of validates all the work and effort that I've done for 26 years. My company has painted over 350 Broadway shows. 
Mm-hmm. We're represented on most of the shows on Broadway and most of the shows that are nominated. So it's an absolute thrill. What have those decades been like, particularly in recent years when there have been such advances have been so, so rapid, like it seems every minute technology changing? Has that impacted your work a lot? It has impacted our work a lot. It has become uh, more difficult as time goes by. Production times are ever decreasing. We sometimes have, you know, a week or two to, to paint an entire Broadway musical where I can remember an age where you would work on a Broadway musical for a month or two. Production times have been so shortened. Yeah. Do you think there's there's ample appreciation for what you bring to a production? Um, you know, it, it runs in cycles. I've been around long enough to see we're primarily known for our painted backdrops and and you'll do a show like hello dolly mm. and and the reviewers will all go what a joy to just see a good old fashioned painted show <laughs> and, and suddenly everybody's nostalgic for painted drops and and you'll do a lot of painted drops and then you'll turn around and it's all about built real I want, you know, bricks and stone and 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 it's not as much fun sometimes, yeah. uh, but it runs in cycles. But there does seem to be I mean, I asked if there was ample appreciation, but there does seem to be a renewed appreciation among among artists uh, and people who really pay attention to those details for what they call old school um, things that you can't do with a machine necessarily. I, I attribute it to the fact that we as a society are bombarded with digital imagery 24-7. And, and you go to the theater to escape that. You go to the theater to see life, to see things that are created by human beings. And, and a hand-painted show, uh, the painted image on stage, it has life. And it, it, it says things to the audience that digital media just can't. Very, very true. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and congratulations on your well-deserved award. Thank you. It was a pleasure. (laughs) So we're here now with Michael McElroy, the founder and director of Broadway Inspirational Voices, who are receiving the 2019 Tony Honors for Excellence in Theater. Congratulations, Thank you so first much. of all. Thank you. Um, receiving a special Tony Award. You're yeah. not even a nominee. They just they just give it to you. So the panic's so. over. No stress over the next four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Were you, I, I don't want to say surprised because it's so richly deserved, but what was it like getting the call or the email to learn about this? Um, the call went to our office and mm-hmm. then the person who works in the office called me at home and said, you need to call this number. Wouldn't tell me why. Mm -hmm. Um, and I called and got a voicemail (laughs) and then 15 minutes later, I got a call back from Heather from the American theater wing telling us that we had been awarded this Tony honor. And I probably have cried more in the last week. (laughs) Um, just, you know, tears of joy because I, this is our 25th anniversary this year. I started it in 1994 out of a need I felt in our theater community for something that was, that would unite us musically. Um, and during the AIDS crisis, and um, to have the most prestigious theater institution uh, in the country say, we see what you've done for the last 25 years, and we want to celebrate and honor that. 
has been a really humbling and overwhelming and exciting and it makes you know, yes, I'm on the right path. Even right. when I'm frustrated, when I give up, this is what I'm supposed to be doing and gives you the strength to kind of go, I can do it for 25 more years. That's right. Maybe. That's right. Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> right. Um, so 25 years ago was a very different time yes. and we were dealing, we're dealing with devastation now, but mm -hmm. it was a different, mm -hmm. it was a different period. Uh, right. So, so the AIDS crisis was still, is mm. still, but yes, at that way. time it was, it was in a, a very dark days. Mm -hmm. um, that was the impetus for this. And, and right. tell me a bit about, you know, what kind of support you got at the beginning and how that's developed? Well, um, at that time, I was a Broadway actor um, and had been in a couple of Broadway shows by that point. I got here in 1990 and experienced having one of my first friends in my first Broadway show, watch him going from being a beautiful dancer, uh, young man of uh, Native American descent, to seeing him on an oxygen tank. And... Uh, it was happening. It wasn't an, uh, an original story. It was happening everywhere we looked. And the Broadway community, being that we are actors, we are artists, we rally. We want to be able to fight. We want to be able to do something in, an, in a situation that we were actually helpless to do anything about. So we, what we did was we raised funds. We made sure that there were support systems in place for our fellow actors and directors and choreographers. And this was a part of it that I felt was missing, which was what is the community spiritual uh, inspirational aspect of where we can come together and how can we use our art, our music to mourn together, to celebrate together, to laugh together. And I grew up in church um, singing gospel music and I knew the power of that music. And so I got 12 of my friends who were doing Broadway shows, three of whom are now Tony Award winners. Um, and I said, could you come and do this concert as a benefit for Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS? Mm -hmm. And they did, and it became an annual event for Broadway Cares. And then we eventually became a 501c3 nonprofit. And we've branched out not just in doing things for the community, but as ambassadors for the community in performance. And also we create an outreach program uh, that we have at Ronald McDonald House, where we mm -hmm. bring Broadway composers in to, and we match them with a child who is battling pediatric cancer. And oh. they hang out for like two to three weeks uh, on and off. And then they go away and they write a song celebrating the child's life. And then the choir members come in and we do a concert for all of the children and families that are living in the house. And that's seven years, 40 songs in 40, a 40 year anniversary this year of Ronald McDonald House. And the Covenant House, which is a homeless shelter for homeless and trafficked youth. We have a monthly program there. Mm -hmm. And we put a music teacher at an elementary school in a small elementary school in Harlem. Oh, because nice. we believe that we know the power of music to transform lives. So what started as something that was just for the Broadway community is now something that we bring within the Broadway community, but also out into the community at large, knowing the value and power of music and how it can help and uh how it changed my life yeah, and how yeah. it has the power to change others' lives as well. Yeah. Have you seen Choir Boy? Um, I actually know Terrell very well. Oh, great. Um, yeah. We're both Young Arts alums and um, I saw it before. I didn't see uh -huh. this one because I was out of town when it was yeah. running. Yeah. Oh, the power of inspirational singing. I yes. was thinking about that. That's, yes. that's great. Something different. Yeah. Well, thank you so much thank for you. joining us. I really thank appreciate you. it and we all appreciate all you do. So thank continue, you so much. Continue good, good luck and success. Thank you so much. Thanks. We are here today with Robert Horn, 
book writer of Tootsie, one of 11 nominations, uh, one for, for this musical. Everybody's loving the show. Um, and uh, it's funny and it, it's relevant now. Uh, and you've done quite a bit of updating, I we know, have. to to make it that way. Tell me tell me about, about that. Well, you know, Tootsie is it's an iconic movie, mm-hmm. AFI number two comedy, I think, of all time. Um, and it's in many many people's eyes a perfect film, but very much also of the era that it was made and and when it existed. But at the heart of it, there's a a, a wonderful story with a with a about a desperate man who is told he can never do the one thing he loves more than anything and makes a really stupid choice in order to be able to do that. So the stakes are really high, um, which is great when you're writing a musical. But you know the the uh, a lot of where the musical lived from the, the world of soap opera through the way some of the women characters orbited the world um, to the idea of just a man putting on a dress in 2019, obviously. Uh, didn't resonate the way they did in the movie and had a very different um, sort of uh, uh, point of view. And so we realized we had to honor the DNA of the movie, but make it our own and make it a wholly original musical. Yeah. Yeah. We interviewed uh, Sarah Stiles and Lily Cooper a while back. Oh my God. Dream team. They did not stop raving about you and how much you sort of remained in touch with them, encouraged their input, um, answered their questions. Um, so I would imagine that was your approach with the cast. It absolutely was, both David and myself. And and one of the great things about working with our director, Scott Ellis, is because, you know, I understand the hierarchy in theater and the director is king. And Scott encouraged me, and I, we talked about it, to, to have conversations with the actors and to form a relationship with them. And I did. Each one of these actors was very integral in, in, in um, creating the characters because... You know, uh, it's a lot of comedy and, and my mind, as well as David's writing is very specific and unique and you have to know how to deliver that. But broad comedy can't really exist unless it's grounded in, in real truth and real pathos. And so the, the actors really had to figure out how do we keep the humanity of the characters and still play the farce and everything from one extreme to the other. And that lived in between that was really a conversation with each one of these actors. And each one of them has a specific skill because truthfully, when you see the show, you're laughing, but you realize no other, no other character could say what that character is saying. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you about that finally, about working with David Yazbek because, uh, you know, he won last year for the band's he visit did. and and another really witty guy who whose writing is packed with details and um, very specific references um, and kind of working that into a broad comedy that's also you know, very heartfelt. Um, David, uh, uh, I was a little intimidated when I first met David because obviously I was a huge fan of being a musical theater boy. I was a huge fan of his catalog. Uh, And we literally had our first meeting and we were like brothers from another mother. We we very much have the same sort of frat boy humor. We uh, connected uh, emotionally. We connected uh, spiritually more important than any of that, we com- we connected comedically. We've both seen each other through a lot uh, in our personal lives in the last three years. He truly has become a brother to me, but he he constantly demands you bring your A game. Yeah, uh, and yeah. and uh, I-, I love that. I love that about him, and it just was a dream partnership. We're doing many other things together after. Oh, this. are you? Yes. Will you keep us posted on oh, that? Oh my gosh, I will. Good. Excellent. Well, you heard it here first, or maybe not, but you heard it here anyway. (laughs) Thank thank you so much much. for joining us. Uh, My pleasure. Congratulations. Thank you. 
We are here right now with Todd Sikafus, who was nominated for his orchestrations for Hades Town. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, this show's been a long well, time along, coming. I should say, along with uh, Michael Chorney, who had to go oh. back to the theater to play the show. Oh, right okay. Oh, to do that, that, uh, that <laughs> little thing. Um, well, congratulations once again. Um, this show has been in development. Hades Town has been in development for, for a long time. Um, I has. think it started in Vermont around uh, as sort of a DIY community theater, the way it was described to me. Yes. Um, were you part of that? Or I what was, point did yeah. You, uh-huh. yeah my, my, my involvement goes back to 2007. So, oh, yes, wow. Wow. It's been a long project doing for a long time. And, and, it, and it's had all this time to, um, to, to grow. Yeah. And it's evolved a lot, I know, even over the past few years. So mm-hmm. what has it been like going through all those iterations and, and contributing to them um, musically? I mean, I, one one thing that I, I feel like I, I haven't said enough is that I, watching Aeneas revise the show over this many years and not ruin the show, I, I just, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know if anybody else could have done that. Uh, she's, she's just, in, she's incredible, yeah. and um, and so the tone of everything in this show has been from her down, and and now Rachel Chefkin also. That's right. Um, uh, you know, so they've built this family. We've all been inspired by each other. It makes sense that, that the, the whole, the, the whole show, it makes sense to see so many of our colleagues from the show here today, because uh, it feels like everything is synthesized, um, in, in our work. And, and that's been the, the lucky part of getting to work for this, this many years on it mm-hmm. together. And there's um, very much, uh, the musicians are very much part of the show. And the musicians this, uh, are part of the show. The yeah. musicians are, are introduced as part of the show. That's right. It is. <laughs> uh, one number, I think, early in the second act. That's so right. So there is almost a concert-like quality to the show. Was I'm that, glad it comes across that way to you. But, yeah. Because yeah, that's intentional. That, that was intentional. Very okay. much so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And was that the case from the beginning and that just remained yes. throughout? Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I think we're trying to strike a balance between... Uh, um, uh, a show and a concert. Yeah. With the sound too. Yeah. And had you worked in, in musical theater prior to working with, uh, Aeneas on A little this? bit, but not at this level. Uh-huh, and, and uh-huh. My music is my background in producing and composing. So what's it been like, uh, Just working totally with the Broadway thrilling. community? Yeah. Incredible. And yeah. I, I think this introduction to it probably is, is, uh, unique because of the path and because of the people involved. Yeah. Um, but so as, yeah, just, I'm so impressed. And with 14 it. nominations, I, I think you must feel pretty embraced. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. 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 Well, that's terrific. Thank you so much for taking out a few minutes and um, congratulations and welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Don't forget to tune into the Tony Awards, which will be airing live on Sunday, June 9th at 8, 7 central on CBS. This podcast is produced by Broadway Direct and the Nederlander Organization with Iris Chan, Glenn Halcom, Erin Provosnik-Wagner, and hosted and produced by me, Elisa Gardner. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon on Broadway.